0: This is AdTech God, and I hereby decree that Flash Talking shall be granted divine status with tools for creative personalization that are truly godlike. You could be more than omnichannel. You could be omniscient like me. Plus, with an independent ad server that covers open web, mobile, and CTV, you don't have to rely on that other big G. So stop praying for a way to get unbiased delivery for your campaigns and visit flashtalking.com slash pod. Tell them Ad Tech God sent you and you'll get all the PDFs you can read. That's flashtalking.com slash pod. And that's the word of God. Welcome to the AdTech God Pod, your window into the world of advertising technology and the people behind it. I'm your host, AdTech God. Today we have
1: the Lord of RTB the God of programmatic prophecy, the savior of ad tech sinners the one and only ad tech God ATG welcome to our podcast
0: thanks guys for having me I'm really excited about doing this podcast today so it's been great meeting you uh, Daniel and James for the call so this is going to be a great experience
1: likewise and and for anyone listening, this is literally a voice from the sky coming down talking to us we don't know who this is we don't see a face it is just this deep deity voice that, that we're all hearing. But why don't we kick it off and why don't you tell us a little bit about your
0: origin story, where you came from, how, how Tech God came to be? It's a pretty easy story. 2020, we had a, something called a pandemic. We found ourselves locked up at home with a lot of free time. Free time meaning all day and night, pretty much at home. And I've, I've always been super active on, on Twitter X, as we call it now but I was always hesitant to speak my opinion on particular topics. I think you find the, the, the dominant, you know, influencers on, on LinkedIn, which vary from the influencers on Twitter. And I never felt that I was comfortable enough to comment or give my true opinion of things. So I was a, a passive kind of reader I would like or share, but I never really took part in the conversation. One day, I I saw the the account, I think he's called like Twitter God, and I loved it. I was like, this is amazing. This guy posts like he's God all the time. Super catchy image. He he, he shuns people. He speaks the truth. It's, It's an amazing kind of parody kind of account. I'm like, man, we need that for ad tech, and I would be so comfortable doing it. So I jumped in, and people like Matt Barish right away was like, I don't know who you are, buddy, but here's a little boost. You know Terry Kawaja started entertaining it. Eric Paro started entertaining it, and slowly it started building up traction to where I was. You know, celebrating a thousand followers, and then three, and then seven, and then ten, and you know, it just caught on over the years. So it's been fun.
2: It's amazing. Well, also just kind of funny, given that Daniel and James are both biblical names. I feel like we really are in the in the the presence of, of greatness. In, <laughs> in terms of building it, I mean, did you find? It's funny, we've started obviously doing this podcast, and we've tried to be more active on on social media, but like we've almost had to like force ourselves to just be like every week we're gonna record a podcast or like we gotta just like right. put out these posts like did it start like that, or is it more like you just had an idea you' are like I'm saying it like i'm I can do this now no it 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 just started with you know in the evening time when
0: when the house is a little bit more quiet and we're done doing what we have to do as you know parents. And as workers, I, I would just pick up my phone and, and start tweeting. And I started finding myself getting a little bit more, I guess, controversial. I, 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 felt, I feel very comfortable asking questions I know the answer to, but I know that people differ in their opinions. And, and that creates a lot of interaction with the posts. And so as I started doing you know, better and better posts, I started throwing out memes out there because I saw Chad. I'm like, man, this guy is insane hundred thousand followers. I said, oh, that's kind of fun. Like maybe I'll get a little edgy on the memes, but I suck. I'm just not good at it. Let me just stick to, to asking questions that, that we all know the answer to and may, may disagree. And that seems to be the route. So it's, it's really not work. I don't schedule anything. I really don't. I, not one post has ever been pre-scheduled or thought about. I don't have an agenda with what I'm posting. I have no real long-term goal with this other than I'm just riding the wave, seeing yeah. where it goes.
2: It's awesome. I mean, like sincerely, actually like, thank you for doing it. It's been actually kind of inspiring to us that we could do this, just seeing people in like, what is like a niche community? Like the fact that there is an audience for it is encouraging. I mean, you have like 15,000 followers, crazy. So thank you for doing it. It's been fun.
1: Yeah. And we talked a little bit before we even started recording, but the content you put out, like you said, it is not just kind of garbage content or kind of silly questions or poking fun at people or things in the industry. You're actually talking about real topics, divisive topics, things that people have strong opinions about. And so I imagine it could have been easy to go kind of the funny, let's just poke fun at ad tech. This isn't rocket science kind of direction, but you chose a much more intellectually stimulating
0: direction. So like, what, what was that choice like and what have you seen come from that? I think it started probably by seeing a lot of LinkedIn press releases and it's a little stale. And, and this happened a few years ago, where where I read a press release, and then two or three weeks later, another company released something that was almost identical to it. They're you know, like, you know, industry leading. We're ready to rock and roll. Nobody's going to be able to do this but us. Like somebody just said the same thing two weeks ago. Like this is this is getting a little stale. And so I think on my end, that that kind of sparked the okay, we're, we're solving for problems that we are all fully aware of. We know it, right? We know fragmentation is a problem. We know measurement is, is getting resolved, and, but still a problem. We know frequency capping is a problem. We know competitive separation and connected TV is a problem, but they're all being solved and everybody talks about it all the time. The question is, is what are the topics that we're not talking about? And what are the competitive advantages of companies who dominate and lead the industry in one direction? and those who do not dominate and are smaller in the industry, but don't have a, a voice to share what product they're bringing to the market. And that's why, if you notice, I post a lot of what smaller startups do and kind of mid-sized companies do. I don't necessarily post what the big companies are doing. The reason for it is they have the money to throw at the market to promote their products. The mid-sized companies might not. And I feel like that is where they need a bigger boost and a voice to just get their name out into the market.
2: Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. I guess thinking of like talking about the big companies, you know, one thing that we talk a lot about internally and then on the podcast is just sort of the tension between like the walled gardens and sort of the open web. And we kind of think of ourselves as like walled garden guys. And and a lot of the stuff that that you post on, at least, you know, I feel like touches more, I don't know if it's a fair assumption, but more on like the RTB and the the programmatic side. Do you have like, you know, love to know kind of just like the ad tech god like point of view on like which of those paths if any is is better or like which one do you kind of like fall on the side of
0: great question i have mixed feelings about it It, in one aspect if i look at the walled gardens that exist today the big social media platforms the rokus of the world you, you think to yourself if i was in that position how would i benefit from the data that I collect, the audience that I have to maximize revenue and still kind of drive those KPIs for for marketers. On the flip side, when you are not a part of the walled garden, you look and you wonder, how transparent is this particular inventory that I'm accessing? What is being obfuscated that I cannot target? And how can I grow my business considering a majority of the spend is coming through these walled gardens? And so I have a very mixed feeling about it. I think if I worked at Roku, I would probably love it. I would say this is amazing. If I didn't work at Roku and I was a smaller provider, right? I think right now the last stat I saw was forty percent of connected TV ad spend is on Roku. I mean that's a that's a huge percentage of the market. So whatever they're doing is working, and I'm a huge supporter. But you have to consider the implications of higher cost of inventory. You need to take into consideration the lack of transparency. There's there's a lot of things that outside world doesn't benefit because of these walled gardens.
1: And, you know, there, there are a lot of things that I think agency holdcos and large advertisers in particular try to blend between walled gardens and open web, whether it's certifications, things about transparency, things about ad fraud and ad fraud measurement, what's your take on like, is that a fair thing for these advertisers to ask kind of very opposing philosophically built systems to, to kind of mesh on or like is that something the industry has to come together yeah. and, and try to decide or like, how, how do we kind of bridge that gap
0: i think we're getting there we've recently seen various partnerships happen between major you know companies like Roku and FreeWheel i think you're starting to see that the fragmentation is slowly breaking up you're seeing that more collaboration is happening and these walled gardens are are working more closely to deliver better products and better measurable solutions to their advertisers. I think we're getting there. I think, you know, if you consider where we were in, in, in streaming television in particular over the last, you know, 7-8 years, we really saw a boom in 2020. Prior 2017-2016, we didn't have these major players in the market or we did, but they were they weren't as aggressively targeting the market. But since the launch of, you know, Paramount Plus and you're talking about Disney Plus and you're talking ad-supported Netflix, or the HFOD model in the fast channel growth over the last you know twelve months, you're seeing that in order for the industry to grow, we have to work together because in the end, it's the marketing dollars that we all want, and so we have to cater to the advertiser.
2: And you know, one thing I was kind of just wonder from the like open web perspective, what would the ideal end state look like? I've listened to a bunch of stuff that like Jeff Greens talked about. And you know, kind of looking at it like it's a, a Nasdaq where you know everyone can kind of transact. Is that like what you think the ideal end goal looks like? Or and I'm basically trying to get at is like in our world we would look at it as like kind of there would be like the the Facebook Audience Network was actually kind of perfect to us. We're like, oh, it makes so much sense. Like you can tie this identity, it writes a lot of value. Like what does the ideal world look like in your guys' mind?
0: You're asking really good questions. And you're making me think about two different scenarios. Now, are we talking about a dominant five or 10 players in the market that are a walled garden and the rest live in an open web? Or does this require full collaboration across the board to promote the open web? In my opinion, the end state will most likely be, I hate to say this, an open web. But in order for that to be done, we need support from advertisers to target open web initiatives and to help drive it forward. Until that happens, walled gardens will continue to dominate. And I'm not sure the walled gardens are going to go down very
2: easily. I can say as a former walled garden guy, they yeah, I think they're not, they're, doing it. They're not gonna do it. But you know, they may be forced to by the market and yeah, you know, one thing that is interesting in that scenario of like, of the world where it is all open. I don't know if you, if you thought much about this, but you know, there, there's a lot of value right now with walled gardens. In particular, people don't talk about this a lot, but they can provide trade credit, right? So they're really, really big companies that can basically offer loans for all practical purposes to small advertisers to pay them, like net thirty, net sixty. When you go into this open web and the demand side. Is more fragmented, and maybe there's not this like central kind of clearinghouse like a Facebook or a Google. Like, do you see that actually, ironically, hurting smaller businesses? I'm not sure if you've like, thought about like the knock on effects there.
0: No, I haven't. I, I think you make a good point. Who else in the market pays net thirty? We'd we'd be happy to see net hundred and eighty at times. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think I think you know that consistent payment cycle is is super important to just keep the industry ticking. The late payment cycles is brutal to our industry and, and should be addressed. And I know there are companies out there that are looking into it and are working on it, but no, I have not thought that far downstream in terms of what the impact would be by having uh, later payments or the impact on small business.
1: Maybe one other thing that it, it seems like is, is a challenge for open web and, and almost just a, a natural evolution of how open web was developed, but more recently ssps and dsps are starting to to blur the lines on what they actually are right and ssps are starting to build own right. side platforms demand side platforms are going publisher direct and so you're creating this very fragmented market whereas if you go to facebook you know the inventory you're getting you know who you're buying from you know what you're paying if you go to snap same thing if you go to pinterest or reddit the same thing but now there's All of these DSPs that are kind of SSPs, all of these SSPs that are kind of DSPs, what comes from this? What is the natural
0: course that we're going to see from this action that these companies are taking, do you think? Like I mentioned, the market dictates the product. I think if we take a look at the historical purpose of a DSP, ROI, KPIs, deliver in full and back out into a profitable campaign, It's fully in, in the control and in the benefit of the advertiser, but that doesn't necessarily translate into the benefit of a publisher. And so the SSPs are really there to drive better CPMs, improve user experience and generate as much possible revenue because they do have costs by, by operating these, these sites or, or apps. And so by combining the two, I think what we've seen is, is trade desk in particular, has been exploring the fastest, most efficient path to accessing inventory across multiple SSPs. And in one aspect, I see, and I'm I'm using TradeDesk just as an example, they are a trustworthy, massive demand-side platform in the market. I don't think their intentions are to harm the market at all. But I think what we're seeing is, where, where are the dollars going? Where is the inventory cost and where is the revenue being generated? And what is the breakdown of the dollar as it flows from marketer to publisher? And so a lot of the demand side platforms you know, have started going after publishers direct because they realize that they have enough spend to go direct. And I think that's a benefit to them and to their marketers. And on the supply side, they look at, hey, the DSPs are coming after our publisher profits and our publisher's revenues. And so we're going to skip the DSP Create our own and allow marketers to come direct, and we're eliminating fees in the middle in the process. So I don't necessarily think any particular side is at war with the other. Even though I tweet that because it creates a lot of engagement, I think the the reality is everybody's trying to squeeze as much performance as they can. Sometimes you have to blend the two, and yeah. creating a powerful DSP while having an SSP that generates revenue for your publisher is really a benefit to everybody. But we have to see how it shakes out over time. Like this is this is a pretty aggressive change in the market that's catching traction over, you know, the last few years.
2: You've seen sort of I think more on the ad tech side than than most people based on just the the tweets that we see that you talk about and sort of the the context that you have. Have you seen a period of like such, you know, kind of not confusion, but just like just evolution than that is similar to where we are now, like given to your point, the end result may be a, like a huge DSP and a what we now think of as a huge SSP, both being the DSPs competing with each other. Like have you ever seen a moment like this where it was just kind of so unclear? No, not in my
0: my experience, but I I I do think with the fall of multiple SSPs that have shut down over the last few years, right? Let's say EMX is one. And with the loss of a major DSP like MediaMath on the DSP side, I think you look at the vacuum that it creates for competition. So MediaMath was a DSP that has been operating for years at a relatively large size number of clients that utilize that platform. They were now faced with a very limited selection of DSPs in the market that potentially support their business. And so when they look at DSPs, as an option in the future, there are really very minimal options for them to move to, and so that creates a lot more power on the demand side platform, right? On the demand side platform market, right? Who are the major players in the market? We know them. It's probably one handful that could support major enterprise type clients, and then on the supply side platform, you know, a few of them have died out over the last few years, and you look at well, who's remaining? Again, only a handful of supply side platforms. And so what's created is a lack of competition and the dominant players really have a lot of control now as their competition dies out. So, it's a it's an industry trend and I think we have to see where it all leads over the next 12 to 24 months.
1: With new channels though, like like connected TV, like HVOD or avod, retail media, does this open up an opportunity for new technology companies or maybe smaller players? to start to compete more heavily with those new formats, you know, whereas a large company has to re-engineer some of its infrastructure or retool its team and its processes to be able to support this? Do you think this is an opportunity or is this just another example of the trade desk and some of the bigger players just scooping up more more
0: market share? I think it's always an opportunity. I, I really don't ever think that there isn't an opportunity. I mean, look at me, I'm a meme account. I think there's always an opportunity in market to make things work. I, I, I really do. I, I look at things really positively and for the most part when, when, I, when I look at this industry. Deprecation of the cookie creates a bunch of various companies that are looking to solve for the problem. The death of an SSP creates the opportunity for another SSP to capture more spend through these DSPs that were transactions. It means potentially more revenue, more profits, more growth. I see this industry going through a little bit of a bumpy time, which we have been for the last, you know, 12 to 18 months. That being said, it's not over. I think as we see companies evolve and a lot of the people who are out of work right now are really spitting up some great ideas, but they're early stage. Someone that was laid off a year ago is not ready to go to market with their product. But I could tell you, I know of at least four or five people that have been laid off and are engineers and are very familiar with ad tech. That have started spinning up products. And they're starting to think about how they're going to market. And the products that they're coming up with and the solutions that they have are addressing the issues that they were aware of at their prior employer. So they're definitely targeting a market that they feel needs to be addressed. So I think we have a lot of opportunity over the next you know, year, year and a half or so to see a rebound and a growth of a lot of you know small to mid-size startups. This is at tech God, and I command you to listen to this commercial message. I have been watching with growing frustration as my media buying flock has been tricked by MFA, Outstream, and gamed metrics like viewability. So I say, let there be attention metrics. Adelaide is the leading attention metrics vendor. They create AU to replace viewability and help you better measure the quality of the ads you buy. AU is integrated into all the DSPs, so it's easy to use. Don't make me smite anyone. Use Adelaide.
2: Along those lines of of smaller companies, I guess two questions. One, have you ever thought about starting an ad tech god venture fund or like a DAO or something? maybe and then and if I was am curious if you'd ever have because it could be really interesting. I had this and combo then- yesterday. I, I, I wouldn't say
0: a venture capital fund. I would say it's time for smaller and mid-sized companies to get the attention that they need because the solutions they have are valuable and needed. And I've thought about this yesterday. I had a conversation with someone yesterday who's a, a close friend. They need to be brought to the table. They need to be presented to the right people at the right time. And many times these larger companies will not give a 10 person startup the time of day, but they're the only ones who can really scale the solution to anything that's sizable. So I have thought of, I don't know if I want to call it like the night's table the round table. I, I don't know. But I've thought about how could I create a platform for not only networking and meeting and asking questions, but a platform for a small startup to be in touch with a major company that may be interested in at least exploring what they have and to have that conversation and then pivot and build what the bigger company wants. So yeah, that I think about this stuff twenty four seven. So yeah. yes.
2: I think it's needed and I think it's the anonymity that you actually have makes it, I think, such like a comfortable place to do it where a startup could feel like it's not like the pressure of some executive at XYZ company to kind of judging them. Um, so I think that'd be really cool. Are there any early stage companies just in general that you're excited about that you just sort of think people should be looking into, not trying to you pick favorites, but just like in general things that you're seeing out there that you think is just really cool?
0: I'm trying not to. Pick. favorites, I try to stay
2: neutral. It, it just because
0: I, I I don't want to sales pitch for someone that I've spoken to that I feel like they're they've got something unique in market. But if you look towards the future and what we need, I would say cookie list solutions are a good investment. AI solutions are a good investment, and should be explored. And I think anything with connected TV. Ad unit changes or creative solutions is very big. Because as we see cord cutters, you know, slow down, we're not cord cutting as quickly as we were three years ago, but you're finding that the user experience on connected TV is becoming more and more seamless. And with that comes the flexibility and the comfort to try new things. And we're seeing it with various like native type of ads that are launched, as well as like pause screens that are launched near a a QR or a particular domain. So I think anyone that's providing a new creative type of solution in the fast-growing CTV space and AI space, I think is key.
1: And anything in kind of the measurement, ad fraud, transparency areas that you're seeing that, that are interesting, either companies or technologies that you think have the, the potential to really solve some of the challenges that the industry is
0: facing there? Was it iSpot that just announced a pretty big partnership yesterday or acquisition yesterday? I think Spot's a great solution. I think Nielsen's starting to, to, to launch better better products. I think they, they went through a rough period of time. Ad fraud, to be honest, in my opinion, human is the best. It always has been, in my view, formerly White Ops. I think they're good, but I think the fraud starts at a different point in, in the process. Mm-hmm. I think there is the, the fraud of bot farms. And somebody somewhere with a server creating inventory and there's misrepresentation of inventory, which is a different type of fraud. And with a very large reseller industry, we need to be careful. And I think we need to value the inventory we have across these premium CTV publishers. And we need to understand the value there and pay the dues to get that premium inventory. And so that, that's my personal perspective on it.
2: And you know when it comes, to, I guess premium inventory. At least for me, I, I do end up going back to like the trade desk in a lot of ways. So when I when I hear about that, I, you know, I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier. But your take, it sounds like, is like they're doing the best. Like they're not. It's not like they're this master plan where they're going to become kind of their own no. sort of version of Facebook. But like it's just like no, they're playing they're, the hands they got. Still,
0: they're still tiny. I mean, if you think about Trade Desk, like, fine, their market cap is massive. Let me rephrase that. They're not tiny, but their market cap is massive. They dominate a market. They've done a very good job. in the scope of things, they're tiny in comparison to Google. Like, they're, they're still not a, a, a competitor to them. And I forgot who posted this on LinkedIn, but they posted a poll. Do you think the Trade Desk is trying to go after Google? Or do you think the Trade Desk is trying to kill the other small DSPs in the market I don't think they're trying to kill the smaller DSPs in the market. I think they're trying to expand the market altogether by taking a piece away from Google. So I, I do not think that the trade desk is bad for the market. And I think they're doing what they can to expand those budgets overall and move it away from the dominant player, which, which is Google.
2: And you mentioned you know, the trade desk market cap. You know, that's something that we just like, again, as former Snapchat employees, we always sort of wonder how in the world is like the trade desk worth more than Snap and Pinterest combined from a market cap perspective, just given that those two companies get to like print their own inventory and own it all and all the benefits of that. Do you have a point of view of like, why a dominant DSP is valued that way? Do you think that, that makes sense? All right. I'm looking at it now. Trade desk
0: market cap, $40 billion. Pinterest, 17 billion. One of them, I won't say which one, doesn't necessarily grow at the same rate and doesn't necessarily have the same profit margins as the other. When you talk about the trade desk in particular, and you look at the overall historical spend in marketing or advertising over the last 50 years, you see that spend consistently goes up over a long period of time. We might have like little bumps here and there or bad years or slower years. But the Trade Desk in particular is riding a wave of both ad spend increasing, inflation, and is not dependent on the users. Interest is working on retaining their users. Facebook is trying to retain their users. And so when you think about a platform like the DSP, they're really riding the wave of ad spend increases. And whether it's a bad quarter or a bad year, long term, the ad spend across connected TV over the next 30 years is going to grow. And I think people are betting on the future. It is the new TV. So I think they justify it. I think that in general, it is a, a market leader, and I think it'll continue to grow.
1: Yeah, that, I think that's, a, that's an interesting way to look at it. It's the expansion opportunity, obviously. But that's a good segue into we, we've got a few questions for you that we want to fire off get your get your quick take on the first what prophecies do you have for edtech as the deity what prophecies are there
0: retail media networks ctv and ai are the fastest growing for the next three years find your investments there get a piece now and then you know follow the growth i think the, the cookie list world is also a fantastic opportunity but i think we're going to see a little bit more challenges this year i don't think we're necessarily out of it. I'm starting to hear the markets say it's a little soft or softer than they expected. We had a good little bump for three or four months and it seems like it's softening out maybe before the the Q4 revenue bump, but hang in there and I think stay focused on your product and your users and the user experience. Continue to explore better and improved solutions for, for your marketers. And in the end, don't forget that the marketers are who we service. So if we can, we can service them, provide them with something unique that drives value, then you will make it through you know, the next two, three, four, five years. What about the future of ATG? What does that have in store? You know, Daniel, I told you this before. I have no idea what I'm doing. This is fun. I'm trying to create a forum. I, I, you know, I hate to use the term town hall because that's used by somebody else, but he's, he's got billions. I want to create a comfortable space for people who work in the industry to talk, to exchange numbers, to have conversations, to ask dumb questions, to educate each other and to strike deals. So that is, I think, at a core focus. What I'm trying to do is just create a network of, of industry people that are there to help each other. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. You know, I, I launched the Slack channel and overnight it was 500 people to the point where Slack killed the link. So now I need to send a new link every 24 hours before it resets. So that, that was incredible. Turned into sponsorship opportunities, which is also incredible. I realize I don't have a bank account, so I got to do that somehow. So as, as I'm kind of turning this to a, 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 an open forum, it's really just to help people out. It, I just want people to network, get better jobs, and really fill the gap in their knowledge in the least embarrassing way. People should be comfortable with asking questions to to friends, colleagues, competitors.
1: I love that. I, we we said it a number of times on this podcast already today, but what you're doing is is truly the
0: Lord's work. Yeah, so, Daniel, I'm not getting rich—that's <laughs> for sure. But yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's fun. It's amazing. I like helping people out. It's just something. It's just the way I live my life. So that's just how I how I like to do.
1: You know, where where can listeners follow you, and then where can sponsors get in touch if they want to sponsor a Slack channel or help move this forward? I'm on LinkedIn,
0: I'm on X, I'm on Instagram. I don't use Reddit. I really don't even know how to use it, but generally, they can they can join the Slack Channel or they could just message me on LinkedIn and we can set up a call. and we can discuss the the opportunities there. and it's a again, not a sales pitch tool for for brands or companies. it's It's really just to create a forum to to where they are industry experts and they can assist.
1: That's great. We'll put all of that in the show notes if people haven't joined the Slack Channel. James and I are in there. People should definitely join. I mean, right now awesome. I see all five hundred plus. But anyway, AGG, thank you so
0: much for coming on today. This has been great. Yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. I mean, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the AdTech God Pod. Stay connected with us for more insights, trends, and interviews in the realm of ad tech. Don't miss out on our latest updates. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and connect with us on LinkedIn. Keep the conversation going and stay at the forefront of ad tech innovation.